It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and happy Monday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and it is my pleasure to welcome you back to another Cisco Champion Unfiltered episode, a Cisco Champion radio spinoff series that gives our champions a platform to have casual conversations around technology, career, and industry trend topics. Uh, And don't forget, if you like our podcast, please subscribe wherever you're listening to us. All right. So what better way to kick off the month of October than to share some spooky IT stories? We are going to gather around the virtual campfire and have some fun, perhaps a little therapy, as our champions reflect on some of the IT horror they've experienced in their careers. Whether it's a mistake they've inadvertently made, a mistake they've witnessed someone else make, or a mistake they've simply had to jump in and fix. All right, first things first, let's start with a round of introductions. Dan, we'll start with you. Who are you? Hi, I'm Dan Kelcher. I am a senior network engineer with Sleep Number. Uh, This is my second year as a Cisco champ and excited to go over a bunch of scary stories here. Spooky stories. Evan, you're next. Thank you, Emily. Uh, My name is Evan Mincer. I am a information security manager located in the Philadelphia region, um, the scary region where we have Grady. Uh, I can be found uh, on Twitter at, at Evan Mincer, and uh, I have a few stories I might have in my back pocket. Phenomenal. Giuliano? Hi, thanks, Emily. My name is Giuliano Barros. I am a CCE senior engineer with 17 years of experience, and this is my third year as Cisco champion, and I'm part of a group on medium.com slash techrebels. Thanks for inviting me. Nice. Shai, last but not least, who are you? What do you do? I am Shai Silman. I'm Director of Network Services for University in the state of California here. And uh, one of the things I do is I help technology with people problems. So I look forward to uh, having some fun discussions with this uh, episode. All right. So I'm going to kick us off with the first question. Dan, this is for you. This episode was your brainchild. There had been a particular situation that inspired this topic, a particularly spooky story that still haunts you till this day. Care to share what that is? I feel like we need the the, the man with the hook hand or something. That, uh, anyways, the this one was really. I mean, I'm sure as as engineers, we've all got stories where where things went went horribly wrong, and and they were the those panic inducing moments. But one of the ones that still i mean this was probably coming up on 10 years now that still still gives me keeps me up at night maybe not that that much but uh years ago we were going through and uh doing a data center migration we were implementing nexus 5k's and with the nexus line you have the option to do front to back or back to front airflow we had maybe misunderstood what cisco considered front and back so we we ordered the wrong thing uh, get it in and you know get them get the switches installed get them mounted get them up and running and 
realize that we're we're drawing in from the hot aisle and exhausting into the cold aisle, and that's that's not how this is supposed to work. Work with our Cisco reps, and we get the the replacement fans and power supplies set up our maintenance window to get everything swapped out. And while we're doing this, there's there's me and a, another engineer are working on this. So I'm working on getting some sand cabling done, getting some redundancy built in. He's he's going through and swapping out these power supplies. And as we're doing this, we're making sure, you know, stepping through everything we're doing, we got a detailed plan, all that that good stuff. So he pulls out the first power supply, puts it in, and he's, you know, we're we're checking in as we're going. And he's like, hey, I've got the first power supply on the first switch done. Check the environmental stats. Everything looks good. Cool. I'm going to replace the first power supply on the second switch. Okay, so he, he moves along with that. And after maybe 30 seconds, a minute, all of a sudden he looks at me and he goes, the first switch just just went down. And I'm looking at our sand and I'm like, yep, this was... Uh, so the, the 5Ks had the unified ports. We had our fiber channel sand connected in Yep, I just lost half of my fiber ports. Well, this this isn't good. So, you know, we pivot and we're trying to figure out what's happening. As that happens, we go through and um, all of a sudden the second switch restarts. And when that, you know, that happens, and he, you, you could see the color in his face just drain. And he, he looks over at me and he's like, the second switch just rebooted. You know, sure enough, look at the look at the switch stats and or the, the sand stats and everything's dark. This, this definitely isn't good. So, you know, panic panic ensues and you both of us are just, this is, you know, a one in the morning, two in the morning change window. We're, we're rapidly trying to figure out what happened and why. And then as that goes through, we end up figuring out that there was a, there was an issue or maybe not an issue, a feature on the nine Ks when you have one that's, that's front to back and one that's back to front airflow. When those mismatch, the switch has like a 60 second, 90 second timer and then it reboots. So because they weren't switched out quick enough, the switch is rebooted. Now, again, this brought down all Ethernet core networking, all fiber channel. Like it, that was, that was a big deal. Sounds like happy times. Oh, it was, this is, the story gets better though. Like this, this was, it went from bad to worse to worse still. We finally get everything back up and we start looking and one of our our sand lawns is just gone. Can't like the, the, everything's up, but this one environment is is completely awol. So we start digging in, open up a ticket with our sand vendor. Like you know what happened here? Sand vendor comes back and they're like, "Well, the volume was deleted." Well, who, who deleted it? Turns out that uh, something in the way that snapshots were done with Hyper V on the sand. When the the sand connectivity was lost, instead of deleting the snapshot from the backups, it deleted the actual LUN. So the LUN was purged from the sand. So we're we went from the entire environment being down to getting it back up to now having to restore an environment from from tape. And this was all all because we tried to replace a couple of power supplies, which in the grand scheme, you know, you think of replacing a couple power supplies should be should be uneventful should be quick and easy and it it turned into i think eight to eight nine hours of just nightmare fuel like we everything kept going from bad to worse until we finally got things back up and i mean we were we started at two in the morning we were running on two hours of sleep so by the end of it we're just we're exhausted we're tired we handed it over to the the day shift and 
we we went home and swore to never speak of it again, and here I am speaking of it again. So I'm guessing I'm guessing the risk assessment on the uh, change request wasn't good. Uh, the risk assessment was we're replacing a power supply. It's redundant. Like there's there's no possible issues here. No impact. Right. This is a this is a low impact change. We've performed it many times. It was a sequencing issue, though, right? I mean, had, right. had you acted fast enough to, or done it one at a time, you would have averted the whole situation. It was just like trying to think, hey, let me do these one at a time on these two redundant switches, and you pretty much worked against yourself. Right, and that's that was exactly it. We we did power supply one on switch one, power supply one on switch two. Would we have done power supply one and then two on switch one? We would have, like, this. this all, none of this ever would have happened. So... Yeah, it's 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 like that that little fraction of a that one little change would have averted disaster. But so it's, it's lesson learned: don't circulate, uh, you know, counter rotating fans in, inside your switch. The understand the difference between front and back. Avoid the entire problem from the outset. You know that was like three rights make a left here. This was like yeah, cascading failures. If the right switches, you know, if we would have had the right power supplies, if we would have. If we would have done them in a different order or done them quicker, if that snapshot, like we didn't think backups needed to be suspended because this shouldn't have had an impact. Would we have suspended backups? There was there was multiple areas where things could have gone differently. And it was just. Yeah, more if you work it hard and with you. Yeah, I've got my own power story that you'd probably like. It's that. Uh, so in our data center, we had we had a bunch of servers set up. We had set everything up. EMC SAN, everything was good and was running SAP. For the entire North America shop floor system was running off it. Everything's good. So obviously SAP has to stay up. We have redundant power supplies and everything. All good, right? Junior guy comes in, needs to plug in his computer and a couple other stuff. Decides to take a power strip and plug it into the 208s, the 208 PDUs. Well, that one PDU goes down. And because we had to add too many servers, it turns out we overloaded the other side. And it decided to go down too. Well, now... SAP basically just shut down hard. All of North America manufacturing just went offline. The SAP basis team is is screaming about, you know, why can't they reach their systems anymore? And this junior guy is standing there with a power supply in his hand going like the power strip, just like, oh my God, with the look of his face was the look of fear. And I'm just like, you did it, not me. Speaking of like, so kind of bringing a whole, a whole network down, um, when when I, I joined uh, my, my job, uh, I, I they had a couple pallets of Cisco access points and like, hey, you know, we need we need to go ahead and deploy them. So this was like a winter a winter break, and we go and we go and deploy like twelve hundred access points. Um, uh, whereas prior to that, uh, the campus only had like maybe three hundred of them, so it made a big difference. Anyhow, uh, we're really excited. Uh, you know, we're starting a new semester and we. Uh, we come and uh, on the first day of classes, uh, boom, the network just goes down to a crawl. And, uh, you know, we, we go, well, something is, you know, we we, try, we think maybe it's a, a denial of service attack. Maybe there's something going on, but it's like, no, it's just like, uh, uh, so, of course, we open tap cases, we start escalating. Uh, but, but oddly enough, you know, if you restart the core switch, then, you know, campus comes back to life and about within about 10, 20 minutes, the same situation reoccurs. What we found out, which was kind of like makes you go blue in the face, is that we, uh, uh, prior to my arrival, someone uh, loaded an, 
the operating system on a 6500 and did not check the minimum memory requirements for that image. Uh, so we're running pretty much at half of the uh, half, I mean, half the memory required to run the image, uh, which um, means that the, we deprive the processor uh, of uh, memory that it required to do its uh, forwarding job. And literally uh, every 20, every 20 minutes, I mean, we had to kind of restart in order to kind of get this because we're filling up the Mac table and, and it went from the Cisco express forwarding uh, all the way over to switching uh, on software, which uh, really, really, really slow things down. Uh, and, and it's just kind of a panic because how do you get out of a situation like that with, uh, with like essentially having running a, a network that uh, every 20 minutes uh, with high user count, essentially it starts to come to a crawl and it's beginning a semester. But uh, thank you to Cisco that kind of came through with like, you know, bigger, uh, bigger line cards that had a sufficient memory pretty quickly. But that was kind of a, uh, the sort of thing of, oh my God, it's the beginning of a semester. And I mean, I think our last 10 pounds in those two days until we got this resolved. And uh, it kind of goes, goes to show you that like no good deed goes unpunished, but uh, always, always check the requirements. You should just go online and download more memory. Uh, we didn't have the, the DNA licensing for that at the time. <laughs> yeah. I have one too. A friend of mine told you at the beginning of the day, a lot of time ago, and he was talking that there there was this switch on on the table, okay, and uh, in a company, okay. I'm gonna tell the company after, but or the the kind of company. But they, there was this switch, and during the morning, the cleaning lady came with the cleaning device, right? And she turned off the switch to clean the environment. And after, I think, one hour, she turned the switch on. But the problem was the traffic company needed to explain the day after why the downtown was crazy. Because all the traffic lights were interrupted during one hour. And, guy, it was so funny. Because the switch was on the table and the traffic was through the switch. So that was a funny one. So all of the traffic lights routed through this one switch. Yeah. So what's <laughs> yeah. the lesson learned? Don't keep your switch on the table. Keep it under the table. Yeah. After that, they put the switch on a closet. By the bathroom? No, not the, ba <laughs> not the bathroom. I've, I've been not to the those. Yeah. Not the bathroom. Excellent. But I, I think Evan has a story with bathroom, right? Well, oh. yeah, so yeah, so one company I was at years ago, we we had purchased this company, and they sent me down there. Mind you, this company was in Virginia, ten miles from North Carolina. So really, you get there, and it's you know you feel like you're in Deliverance. So I, I go into this. The company was basically a triple wide trailer, and I walk in there, and and first of all, you go to the bathroom, and and. There's the toilet, and next to the toilet is the wiring. So you could be sitting down and dealing with your wiring. But then I asked them about their backups, and I said, well, I see this like old Travan-style backup drive on someone's desk. I'm like, is that what you're using for backups? No, nah, I can never get that to work. The guy was I was beating there, and he's like, okay, well, what do you do for your backups? Well, you see, it's a netware server. I'm like, yeah, I know netware servers. And he's like, yeah, well, it's got two hard drives in it. Okay, Wow, that's amazing. That yeah, he's like, he's wow. like, what a, <laughs> wow, he's like they're, they're, they're mirrored hard drives. I'm like, yeah, but what about your backups? Well, if one of the hard drives goes, 
I'm like, so basically you have no backups. Pretty much. Yeah, we we had to replace that thing. So anybody anybody have fun like with, with pulling cables like between two buildings? Uh so I, I have kind of a, a funny one. Uh, we uh we use uh, AT&T uh to provide connectivity uh, uh to a building that's that's off campus. And uh, what uh, what ha- would happen is every once in a while we'd, we'd, we'd get the notification from this, hey, you know, we're, we're down. And uh, pretty much what happened is the, ca- the cable wasn't long enough. So the, the, when, when they call the tech, the tech would come and pull the cabling back to our side, which would cause issue at the house next door. Uh, and then, you know, you wait like three days until uh, until they call in a ticket to AT&T and the tech comes and pull the cable the other way and then creates an issue for us. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> It was it was it was pretty much uh, I mean a, a infrastructure issue for, from the carrier, but the solution was that the cable just wasn't long enough between the two buildings. Oh, I had one of those ones with the carrier where we we're testing a line. It's a T one between two buildings, and it basically had three COs in between, and and we're sitting there testing it, and the guy's like, you know, we've looped the one end, we're seeing traffic, so we don't know what the problem is. And the other guy's like, finally, which end did you loop? Uh-oh, they looped both ends and they're seeing the same test pattern going back and forth and going, we're seeing traffic, it's working fine. Yeah, they're seeing the test pattern in the middle CO. Well, I, I, speaking of loops, I like that. I, I have, uh, I don't know how many of you have like uh, Cisco IP phones, but uh, the Cisco IP phones, you know, they have the uh, the bridge port so you can connect your PC. And uh, we had like, you know, I mean, user stories are always funny with, with disasters, but you know, they, uh, you gave them the cable to plug their PC, they see a plug in the wall, the phone is up and running. So they decide to plug in the other, uh, the other uh, cable into the into the wall. And then they wonder how come when they do that, their phone goes down. Well, no, that's what you do. I, I yeah, I was at one place where, where they said, you know, they bought a hub, put it on the network, you know, the users did. And then they thought, well, we'll make it go quicker by plugging another line into the network. Well, I have I have a, a really huge story with IP phones. Um, as you said, the, the users see a cable. Okay, okay, I have the this port and use it. Oh, that's right. I'm gonna plug it. Okay, no issue. Okay, this uh, there is this cable. There is this this plug. But the problem is um, this huge client um, has a standard with he's a huge client, so he uses best practices, right? Port security plus BPDU guard plus error disable recovery. But the issue is the first, I think, two Macs that passed through was not the, from the switch. So the switch didn't detect the BPDUs and got stuck with a loop. And during the time, I don't know, one, two, three hours, the, the traffic was going crazy. And the whole sector with this STP loop was um, created by a user that plugged the cable on IP phone. Like, I think 300 users stopped to work because, oh, there was this cable. After that, the client, after the third time, they realized the problem because it was, I don't know, it uh, happened three or four times. They sent an email to every user, do not plug cable, uh, the cables on the bridge port for, from your IP phones, please. Oh, and another good story of breaking down the whole network. So uh, we, we decided we're going to set up a network core and do a VSS. Uh, so we had a pair of 6513Es with four supervisors and 
uh, everything was redundant between the two. And we thought that we're like totally in hog heaven as far as there was no way we're going to get an out, uh, downtime with this. Uh, and uh, it was time to do a software upgrade. Well, uh, we do have things uh, called ISSUs. Uh, for those of you uh, who are not familiar with SSUs, that's an in-service in uh, upgrade option that uh, when you are trying to uh, do an upgrade and you have enough redundancy, uh, you upgrade like one line card uh, and then you fail over to it and then you upgrade another one. So uh, you could, I mean, if, if things work well, you could potentially upgrade uh, network software during uh, midday and the users would not know that. A little bit risky, but uh, so anyhow, we do this on a on a weekend, and we start the ISSU, and unfortunately, we hit an ISSU bug, and then the whole box starts to do a rollback. Uh, so something that went together from oh, we have so much redundancy to the uh, to there's no way we can have a failure here because of all the redundancy between two chassis and four supervisors. Uh, it took like 45 minutes to to roll back. And of course, uh, when the network goes down, the, the phone system uh, is down and it creates a public safety issue. And it certainly escalated to a, a huge, uh, huge level of awareness while it took about 45 minutes uh, for things to roll back. Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've kind of learned it's like, well, if, even even with ISSUs and doing everything you're supposed to do and following all the process, uh, there's still no guarantees that, uh, you know, Murphy won't come and visit you once in a while. Yeah, it's, sometimes sometimes you can tell the, the people that have more, you know, they've been around longer because they've caused more damage. <laughs> I, I had one time where uh, we had a VLAN on a network that shouldn't have been used, wasn't in use, no one was using it. And uh, I was messing around with this one system, so I, I tried to kind of supernet off the VLAN so I could play with something. As I'm playing with this, uh, it was a WAN testing system. Um, <laughs> one of my VPs comes into the back room. He's like, yeah, we've got major problems, stuff going on. What's that? He goes, the phone system isn't working. I'm like, he picks up the phone. There's no dial tone. I'm like, hold on a sec. There's a dial tone. What did you do? I'm like, oops, that shouldn't <laughs> have happened. <laughs> it's like, without even touching the phone system, I shut it down. It turns out, it was this, a via system, wasn't even a VoIP system, but it had this VoIP connector to this little hub, not even a switch, a hub on the back end that happened to be plugged into that VLAN. Basically, because I kind of messed with the super net, the, the IP addressing on that VLAN, it stopped talking to each to each other and said, nope, I'm not working today. The, the thing I love, like when you have like big outages is also it's like right away management wants to know what's going on. So they start calling everybody, right? And then it's like, uh, what are you guys doing? It's like, well, we're on the phone explaining the situation to you all because you guys want information and you're not giving us the time to actually work the issue. <laughs> yeah. And in the past company, we had some clients that they plugged the phone off. Okay, turn off the phone so we can actually work. So just one guy answering everything and the other working in a pair. Because it's crazy, you know, you need to explain the same stuff over and over and over and over. And you don't fix. My my favorite is always when they ask, so when's it going to be back up? And half the time you're like, I'm not even sure why it's down yet. So, <laughs> you know, you get like a, an ISP issue and there's a circuit cut. Vendors trying to figure out where they're trying to get a cable replaced. I I have no, no say. I can't tell you when it's going to be back up. One of the ones kind of talking through some of just messing with networking. I took... 
I, I mean, this probably, this was quite a while ago, but I, I deployed a virtual appliance that was supposed to be, it was some sort of like a gateway for, I think it was like a, a kind of a, a help desk, desktop management type tool that was going to allow you to, you know, computers outside the environment could connect in and put this thing in a DMZ and it, it served as kind of a gateway to the internal management system. So took the, the virtual machine and deployed it into our DMZ, didn't think too much of it. Until all of a sudden people start calling and they're like, hey, internet's down, nothing's working. Like all these these services that ran through the DMZ were impacted. So I, I you know, first thing like, hey, I just brought this VM up. That must be the problem. Shut it down. Ta-da, things are, are working again. Dug into it and the VM, the appliance was pre-built with, you know, a 192, 1.1 type IP address. So when it came up, it took over the IP of the default gateway on that network, knocked the entire network offline. It's like, oh, this is this is convenient. So build it up again without a network connection, go in, log in, change the IP address, and then bring it online. But one of those things where it, yeah, it really something that should have been really simple. Nobody thinks about, hey, what's the outage impact of deploying a VM and knocked a, knocked a DMZ offline? Yeah, speaking of internet, I have a, a kind of a, a funny story. Is, uh, years ago, we had the ASAs, the fifty five eighty fives, with uh, with uh, with very short lived product called the CX module. And uh, what would happen is we're using that to, to to do filtering for content that we didn't want, such as uh, BitTorrent downloads. Well, the, the problem is uh, the appliance was oversized, so every once in a while it would go offline and then it would stop filtering and sometimes interrupt the internet traffic. And, and we, we kind of figured out that like, you know, it, would, it would automatically restart and all that, but one of the, the key key telling is that it misidentified a Clash of the Clans uh, game. So the detection system for this outage was, can you play Clash of the Clans? If you can play it, then it's filtering and it, and it, and it and it's working. But if it if it doesn't work, I mean, if it doesn't work, then uh, uh, then that was kind of our failure indication at using a, a game on your phone. I swear, boss, this is work. I'm not I'm not sitting here playing video games all day. I had one company we called it bandwidth utilization testing. What was that? Yeah. It was playing online games. Yep. Early in the career, that was load or load testing was fire up a Quake server and get a, a dozen people online. And, hey, the new switch works. Um, ten years ago, I think ten years ago, I had seven years of experience or something like that. Um, a switch of our client was broke, so I I went to replace it. Just a, a quick job, you know. Take off the switch, put a new one, replace it. It, it was like uh, thirty-five fifty or something like that, and I I had the configuration, so everything was set, and all the 40, 48 uh, interface was were used. So I just saw uh, no cables left in, okay, and all users. So just replace, take off, put the switch, okay. When I finish everything, okay, let's go. Um, I saw the, the client, uh, the, the point was the client saw one cable left. So there were 49 cables, not 48. And I have no idea what the cable, where it was plugged and why. And okay, left one. 
the client I, I was stuck and the client was asking and asked me guy I'm gonna I need to go one hour or two hours earlier tomorrow just to see what machine is this because I don't know if it was uh, which cable you plugged in in the place of it so I, I was really ashamed by that day because I was how could I say confident you know and okay it's an easy job and I caused uh, I three, two or three hours of work for that guy and it was painful I, I've had I've had entire networks go down like that we had worked at a company where this is back in the 90s they were running everything on 50 pair um, all the phone system we had put in new network cables for for all the networks but it turns out all the stuff coming from the DMARC area which in the boiler room over to the server room was run over 50 pair well, you know, right 1999, they finally replaced all the phone system, put in, it was either Cat 3 or Cat 5 cabling for it. And the building, the management company, they were the ones running the phone upgrade. They gave permission to the networking people to demo all the 50 pair. Well, that also, at that point, they lost internet, all the point to point connections, all the WANs, everything. They call me at home about this, and I'm like, well, get them to run, you know, get them to run, you know, patch cables between the two areas. They got a little. There was a little sheet on the box that had where you know which each one is, and do that. I'll be in it early. You guys work on it. I come in early, go there. I'm like, what have you connected? Nothing. You've been working all night. What happened to the sheet? We can't find it. I'm like, <laughs> I left that sheet there on purpose for something like this, and it's now missing. It's in so and so's office. I'm like, the guy who loses everything. Yep, that was a fun morning. So, so t- talking about assume redundancy and losing a whole data center. Uh... I worked for a company. Uh, we had like a, a, a data center. Uh, we had like a really big beefy UPS that can keep the the data uh, center up for about 45 minutes. And we had a nice generator. And it's been working for years. Um, and uh, pr- pretty much, you know, we've, we'd lose power. And then we would see that the, uh, uh, the net generator kicks off. We never lost power. Power comes back. You know, UPS goes back to 100%. And uh, all is happy. Uh, but what we didn't account for is the fact that all of our outages were like 10 to 15 minutes. Well, uh, at one point, we actually uh, had an outage due to somebody hitting a power pole, uh, which uh, created a very long outage. And as always, uh, pretty much our uh, UPS worked, uh, the generator kicked on, and about 45 minutes later, we dropped power. And something that... Uh, uh, we discovered that was uh, pretty much uh, and in- very interesting is that they uh, we never ran on generator battery long enough to actually drain the batteries and the generator uh, phase rotation was off so the UPS never accepted the charge from the generator so we had we just lucky enough that all the outages were small enough so on a big outage when you really needed that uh, we ended up with a down data center for quite a few hours while PG&E made repairs. I, I've I've had a company go down because of a train and a and a squirrel. <laughs> we had we had yeah we had two data centers redundant redundant fiber between the two data centers so that way if you lose fiber you're still down and we got we had I forget what the response time on on the fiber repair was but you know it's like an hour or something like that so we should be up relatively quick if they ever have a problem you know paid through the roof for this. Well, a squirrel chewed through one of the fibers. And at the same time, somehow there was an accident with a full-on train that took out the other fiber. 
So now both fibers are down. So the squirrel, that one, they could repair in the time. But it turns out when a train's involved, your your recovery time does not count until the train is out of the way. So we're like, when's the redundancy going back up? We don't know. So this is kind of like a networking train wreck. Exactly. We had a, um, I had a, uh, a user-induced error. Um, you ever hear, you know what a bedlam is? A bedlam is, it's a Microsoft term for what happened to us. We were running Exchange 5.5, so already you can tell how much of a stable email environment we had. That'll teach you, man. Yeah. Well, it was, that was the latest and greatest at the time. So someone sent an email out to all, it was like a thousand people in this company Almost all of them were in, in our region, and there was like an office on the other side of the country with like 20 people. Well, they sent out email to everyone, and one person in that, you know, about like someone's lights are on the parking lot. Well, someone at that part of the company, the 20 person, sends a response, reply all. I'm not in there. I don't want to hear this stuff. And then someone else sends a reply all. Me too. And someone else. And after a few of them, yeah. now you had the manager's chiming in reply all do not reply all so at this it's point common. yeah this is what's called a bedlam so what happens with exchange 55 it basically has one message for every single person so you had what a thousand messages on the first round the reply all yet another thousand another thousand another thousand another thousand another thousand after about twelve thousand messages the exchange server just goes i can't handle it anymore oh no uh, yeah, well, the, the whole system was offline, and the best part was is is one of like one of our senior IT people comes in. He's pissed off. This has to happen. We need to send out notification. This and that needs all these problems. And, and my boss just goes to him goes, "Well, you have a personal email account." Well, yeah. I'm like, so you can. He's like, so you can still work. He's like, well, yeah. I was like, so it's really not a problem. And this teaches everyone. He's like, yeah, good point. <laughs> so we sat there without any email for the rest of the day. Yeah, I I worked at uh, at one of my jobs that like they're essentially also trying to re to reduce like how much storage we use for email. This was on the Lotus Notes, and they literally changed the Lotus Notes client uh, to uh, remove reply all that you had to work really hard uh, in like three or four clicks to reply all just to take the habit out of it. Yeah, I I heard two or three stories about companies with tens of thousands of users that crash at the exchange, and uh, one is my 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 wife and a friend from work, and it's common. So the pro tip here: if you're gonna send out a mass email, BCC the rest of the company. Don't yeah. put it in the CC. Yeah, line. no, that was solve that problem entirely. No, you you just create a distribution group and let everyone email it. Yeah, but it happens only once because there is no second time. Every company learned with, with that. Well, we, we I had one guy where, where, you know, this is before we had uh, the late you know, Office 365 where you could actually block people from sending to distribution groups. We had this guy who basically sent out this email. It was something about it was around Thanksgiving time here in the U.S. And he sent an email out to the entire company about how you should go vegan for Thanksgiving and don't eat turkey. Yeah, he got brought down to HR. And then a year later, he does the same thing again. And the best part was his his senior director supposedly went into his cube and like the vein is throbbing on his head. And there were some words used that I can't repeat, but he was not working there anymore, this guy. Sounds like a Jerry Maguire story. 
email stories are are always fun. I mean, and, and that's it, the cool, right? We go to the cloud. But speaking of going to the clouds, uh, you know, we we now have uh, people have ability to spin up VMs uh, on their own. And um, just because you can spin up a VM doesn't know you know best practices. And uh, we, we've we've had issues where uh, uh, pretty smart people uh, set up VMs and they don't change default passwords. Uh, and then of course the internet is constantly scanned for those sorts of things. And uh, and then all of a sudden you see very high amounts of traffic emanating from uh, from some machines. Anybody have uh, experience with that default password issues? Being able to get into people's systems. So I mean, we've we've had it to where a machine got compromised, and of course, then it was it was used to launch uh, a DOS attack. And unfortunately, we have big enough pipes that, like, I mean, we can be used to to do a DDoS. Uh, so we have to be very careful of that. This is common. Um, my friend hired a consultant to to scale a server, okay, to change the server. And after one hour, my friend, uh, two friends, the consultant was uh, is my friend also. So the consultant asked, "Are you crypting my uh, mining crypto on the company server?" And my friend that owns the company, "No. Why? Because your server is." Um, and, and when I asked, "Okay, did you change the password for the server? Why should I?" You know, he asked. So it's common because people that are not from IT. They don't need the, the, the necessity to, to change passwords and all those stuff. They just turn on, okay, I'm using, and we financing, financing uh, softwares and applications, you know? So it was a uh, mission-critical server mining crypto. Yeah, the number of places, even where it's, I don't, trying to go through and secure this and get, you know, access to the right people is too difficult. So we'll just, we'll give everybody, give everybody rights. So I... I had a client that was concerned about security a while back, went in and I was talking to him about it. And they, they wanted us to do an audit of their security, open up Active Directory, open up the domain admins group. And as a member was the everyone group. Oh, no. Wait, this isn't good. So then it's, it's how at that point you get into how do I go and actually fix this? Because somebody there's all of the applications, everything that they've done has just been using, you know, full admin permissions. So even trying to remove that, you know, it's going to break everything. So trying to, to here's all of the groups and trying to write that all from the ground up after it's been in place for years is it's, it's like, we're just going to, we're going to remove everyone. Things will break. And we're going to spend the next six months dealing with every individual case of this doesn't work because there's there's no good way to to try and track down every use case that's actually legitimate. People really underestimate like doing best practices, right? And 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 this and when we see this coming back and biting us again and again and again because people go in, they're in a hurry to do something, and then we need to because of lack of following process or best practices. All right. Nicely done, folks. Do you have a particularly spooky story you'd like to share? I'm actually sad we didn't say spooky. You guys didn't use spooky. Spooky. <laughs> share your story with us on Twitter and use hashtag, hashtag Cisco Champion. I appreciate you listening in today. And a special thank you to our champs for being a part of today's episode. And again, a reminder, please subscribe wherever you're listening to us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. 
We'll see you next Monday. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.